Hi, I'm Anna. And I'm Nina. And we are the founders of the Nordic Business Ethics Network. And this is the Ethics Talk podcast. In this podcast, we discuss hot topics relating to business ethics, compliance and corporate conduct. And we believe in a transparent dialogue around the complexities of doing business ethically. And we talk about both difficult dilemmas in the gray zone and best practices to learn from each other and to build more ethical companies and organizations. If you are interested in learning more about ethical business, both from global but also from a local Nordic perspective, this podcast is for you. So hello, everybody. I am here today in the Ethics Talk podcast with Jakob Bramborg from Frank Partners. And we had the privilege of having Jakob with us at the Business Ethics Day earlier this autumn. And we talked about a very uh, interesting topic that is super hot at the moment. Uh, And you probably now are wondering what topic is that. Um, So I will reveal to you that we talked about ESG, so Environment, Social and Governance. I'm sure that all of you who follow social media and different newsletters within our compliance field, You've seen that the term or abbreviation ESG is popping up everywhere in conferences. We are talking about that. What does it really mean? And and is it something new even? Uh, so so we have the expert here today. Uh, so Jakob and I, we will use, use this time to really talk about ESG, what it is, what it means, and, and how it connects to ethics and compliance. And We'll try to make it really practical for you. Uh, and uh, yeah, with, with that, I'll, I'll invite you, Jacob, to the discussion. I'm super happy to be here with you today. Thanks so much, Anna. It was great to be here. And it was a great conference as well, by the way. <laughs> no, it, it was. It was. And this, this was really yeah. a theme that we would have, you know, could have continued discussing there as well. So I'm super Absolutely. happy that we yeah, can have you back. Um, but but to start with, maybe maybe Jacob, would you mind just um, explaining a little bit what is ESG? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is ESG? I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's got it's got it's been around for for a while now, and and uh, you know, I think some of the most prominent uh, elements of it, like uh, you know, that people will know about are. You know, the UN Global Compact, which of course a lot of um, companies have signed up to, and that was one of the the kind of early initiatives that really started the movement. Um, and and you know, then there's been things like for the investment community, the the UNPRI, which came afterwards, which is also kind of a reporting framework, um, especially for investment companies. And 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 of course, there's been many many more initiatives uh, since then, and there's an increasing regulatory drive as well in, in, in recent years. Now, ESG has really become more mainstream, I would say, in the last you know, two or three years. And, um, and you know, now everybody knows about it or talks about it or at least knows the, those, those three letters, right? Um, whether they then know exactly what it is is, an, is another thing. But, but I mean, essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a term used to um, structure um, work that companies can do to address various um, elements that are, you know, important for society, important for climate, uh, important for the rule of law, um, and and it's really to try to kind of create a framework 
um, for companies to work with to, to, to get somewhere on this. Um, so it encompasses quite a lot of different things, um, which is why it's also in, in increasingly interesting to ethics and compliance people. Um, because of course, there's a, the governance part is a, is a big part of what you guys are doing. Yeah. You know, exactly. And I think you, you summed it up very, very well. And, and for, you know, for me, Jacob, it's, um, ESG was uh, was something that when I like a long time ago go started uh, with my research project that I luckily now mm. have finalized. But mm. it, it was a long project, you know. Then um, I was looking at ESG data, and, and now we are like back in 20, 2012, 2013, almost almost ten years ago, and and that was really all about investors trying to look at other things than just purely financial things that can, can have an yeah. impact on the company valuation, right? So you can look at the financial statements and you can see, okay, this is what the company is valued. But then through different type of scandals, uh, we usually see that, hey, there, there are some other things that have a huge impact on the company valuation, such an environmental scandal or a social issue, human rights issues or corruption issues, which you cannot read from the financial statements but they still matter. So, so I think now we see that that this is becoming mainstream, as as you can say, and and there are other other sort of communities apart from the investor community that really understands that. Hey, this is this is actually a good term. But but wouldn't you mm. agree that this is something we have been working with for a long time already? It's it's nothing new. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that. Um, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that drove us to get involved in this sector was also the fact that, you know, when we, whenever we were doing, um, you know, investigative work in, in, in various sectors or various markets, you know, of course, we would also, if it came to um, working in the DRC, for example, you would, of course, also ask about um, human rights issues. You would ask about labor conditions. You would ask about all these other and and potentially environmental uh, pollution. Um, so you, you'd address a lot of these things already in a lot of our work, and and uh, and and so it was a natural shift for us as well to move into this into this um, sector. Um, so I think we have been uh, working with it, and, and companies have been working with it for some time. But I think you know now it's becoming uh, kind of a you know requirement to work with it. And you mentioned valuations before, and you know it was interesting to to see um, you know the shift in the last few years because I you know when we do um, uh, investment and transaction advisory, we we often then see you know when companies are selling um, selling. Uh, they basically, uh, you know, obviously will produce information for potential investors, and and these inv investment memorandums have changed drastically. Uh, I mean, I saw one the other day, and it was I think 10, 15 pay, uh, percent of it was dedicated to ESG. You know, and typically those in the past were, um, you know, were much much more focused on operations and finances and results, of course, because those were the driving things. But you can really see that now. It's become a, a, a value add, and people see it as a value add, and and you need to do something about it. And I think it's probably happening a little bit quicker in the investment community um, than it is on the corporate level. And um, also because I think that trying to work with the ESG on the corporate level is it's a much bigger task, if you will, because it there's, there's it, the companies are just so big, 
and and there's been you know process going on the procurement side of of, of corporates there's been process going on the corporate social responsibility side and but what's really changing now is that the the the, the investors in in the corporates as well, they are asking for more data. They are asking for more results. They're asking for something more tangible. And that I think is driving the corporates also to say, okay, look, we have to also start producing this. And then there's a, I think there's a bit of a scramble at the moment. I mean, you probably be better, better place to say that, but you know, from, because you are coming from the corporate world, but it's, you know, how do you now start reporting figures? If you don't necessarily have the infrastructure to get those figures and get the right figures, um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see and a big challenge. Uh, yeah. I think going forward. Right, I think, and, and let's let's come back to that uh, a bit yeah. later. I think because I think that's su- super interesting to address as well. But before that, I, I wanted to stay on the topic of of sort of M and A's, and I've uh, uh, I have to say when you said that sort of. Uh, the investment community is moving faster here. Uh, you know, when, when I got to know Frank Partners and you guys, it was really in the context of agents, distributors, due diligence, just like this murky partner somewhere in Indonesia. We we had to find out, you know, can we do business with them and so on. And 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 then, yeah, you, you really transitioned during the years to to be these advisors to private equity firms to to these different investment communities. And, and I think that's, uh, I don't know if you just want to speak to that transition a bit. I mean, was, was that planned or, or yeah, because I think it's, uh, it's, it's quite a, quite a, a transition. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think to be honest, I think we were, it was obviously, um, you know, we've been able to deliver value to our PE clients for a long time, but it was kind of also party luck, I would say, to be in the right situation that we got involved in it in such an early stage. Um, and it was, it was mainly, um, because we, um, we, we were working very closely with a, with a good private equity clients of our client of ours. And, and, um, and this is about five, six years ago. And they said, look, you know, one of the things we're often missing in our ESG due diligence is, is, is a little bit more that external view of things. You know, we, whenever we get reports, it's, it's, it's typically just receiving information from the sales side, you know, getting whatever information they can give us, asking them questions. Whereas they obviously, they'd seen by working with us, um, on more kind of investigative and in, integrity due diligence work that we could go out and get information from elsewhere. And, and, you know, so we were quite fortunate in being able to get the opportunity to work very closely with them and, and kind of have, you know, framed a, a kind of our ESG due diligence around kind of um, uh, this element of, you know, doing the internal work, but also doing the external work. And, and I think that a lot of, um, as you know, as well, and, you know, we, we really, we really hate to take the box. You know, we, we, we don't like you, you, that, you know, of course, there's certain areas that you need to address. And yes, that, that can't be boxing, but you need to add value and you need to go into detail. And, and this is what our approach allows in the ESG due diligence side is that, you know, we don't just say, okay, China is a difficult place to work because it's so and so high on the CPI uh, or, 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 or whatever else. We, we will actually then go and say, okay, if you have a lot of sales in China as part of the ESG due diligence process, we will go and take a look at those potential sales channels. We will conduct inquiries externally from the company in the market. And, 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 you know, combining that, triangulating the information with what you get from the internal and the external side 
is something that's quite powerful. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, so we were lucky in some sense to have been in the right place at the right time, I think. Um, and, and it's put us in a good position today to advise, you know, companies as well as private equity companies, um, well on this topic. No, I think it's super interesting, Jacob, because also, I mean, well, the M&A pipeline, I think it's, it's super hot at the moment. That's what I, what I, mm. what I hear, you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, maybe it's just the, the world that we live in uh, at the moment where we're all, yeah, we're, we're, um, uh, I, I think there are consolidations uh, happening and, and so on. So, and I think M&A is probably a very relevant topic for many of our, our listeners, you know, with mainly within the com- compliance community throughout the Nordics and beyond. And I, th- mm. I think it's super interesting for us and, and important for us to, to, to reflect upon the fact that actually when DOJ came out with this... Um, evaluation of corporate compliance program, this updated guidance, I think it was now one and a half years ago, summer 2020, I think it was when it was updated the last time. And and there we can read very specifically that they say that, you know, how companies manage their M&A process is, is very reflective of how mature their ethics in compliance program is. And I think that mm-hmm. is... That is spot on. I was. I'm, I'm wondering who has advised the DOJ on that one because <laughs> what, what what I've seen from from quite many Nordic companies is that actually that is true. You know because because uh, you know ev- everybody who's sort of listening here, uh, raise your hand. How many of you are actually intensely involved in the M and A process? Uh, I would say it's 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 not that usual. Uh, I think it's more like, yeah, it's the business development people, it's the business people. And then, of course, there is the legal due diligence phase. But but is really these aspects like covered and is the compliance team involved prior to due diligence to already assess the target and see what kind of risks are we acquiring here? So I, I think this is, it is, it is, in that sense, very good that we talk about ESG now in the ethics and compliance community community because that brings us to like investments, M&As and so on, where we have to become more involved. Uh, that's for sure, because I think, you know, we can read the FCPA enforcement actions and, and time and time again, we see that it's a legacy issue. It's like, oh yeah, it was an acquired entity and so on. So so I think that's, yeah, really something we we, we should uh, should learn and, and learn how to deal with. And, and on that yeah. topic, uh, Jacob, then if you... So let's say you have a target, uh, a prospective target, right? A company that you are doing ESG due diligence for. Uh, what do you go out and look for? Like, could you just, I know we don't have time to go, go, go through it in detail, but what would be the mm. main things that you are actually looking at in that context? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I also think just just to you know to add to what you were saying before, I think you're completely spot on, uh, and and I think it's it's partly been the way that the Nordic compliance drive has happened, just because it started off with UK Bribery Act, and then suddenly it was all about third parties, and people kind of forgot about M and A, and and you know, and I, I know of course you've you you kept an eye on it very closely uh, at, at the early stages, which I think is completely right, because like you say. You are acquiring legacy third parties, but you're also acquiring legacy production. You're acquiring legacy suppliers, um, and and all these elements that are that can have a huge impact um, uh, on 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 your company going forward. So, uh, and I think that there are certain corporates that are starting to see 
the importance of uh, when they are doing M&A, not only obviously including ethics compliance, which I think should be a must, um, but but also saying, okay, hold on a second, you know, what are we acquiring here? What are, you know, if we have, uh, if the company we're acquiring has, you know, key supply chains uh, in in China, in Southeast Asia, in in other places where there has been concerns about human rights and labor, labor issues, you know, we need to understand what that is. And we can't just say, okay, we are going to buy the company and then deal with it afterwards, right? You know, then, then our procurement people will take care of all that, you know, and, and, you know, I think that's, that's one of the key things. So I think, you know, when, when, when we are doing the M&A process, um, we look at a lot of different things. Uh, and, and of course, one of the things you look at is, um, you're, you're, you're looking at what kind of framework does the company have? Um, and what kind of policies do they have to address everything from, um, you know, uh, supply, supply chain management to, um, codes of conduct to, uh, you know, what kind of training do they have? I mean, the things that you would often look at yourself as well, um, as part of the ENC role. Um, and, and other things like, you know, do, do they escalate issues? Do they have any whistleblower hotlines? Do they have, you know, all these elements? Um, and then what we do is we also try to obviously assess whether, you know, even if they have those policies, are they implemented? Right. And, and this is the big if, um, you know, because, you know, especially a few years ago, I don't know if you can get away with it so much these days, but a few years ago, there was quite a trend that you'd, you know, you'd, you'd have, you'd put up the, these policies, you'd have a code of conduct, et cetera, because you know, you're going to be sold. So you need, kind of knew you needed to have these things. But then, you know, with our approach, we would then go and, for example, speak to former employees and various others, interview them to try to understand, you know, how well have these, these elements been implemented. You know, and of course, if you speak to a, a sales manager, you know, who, who left the company, you know, a couple of years ago and they said, well, we've never heard anything about codes of conduct. We've never heard anything about ABC. <laughs> um, you kind of know that it's a little bit window dressing. And I, and I mean, of course, you know, you have to recognize, you know, there's a certain size of a company. And, you know, so of course, if they've got policies in place, it's also not a bad thing if they haven't implemented it yet. But as a, as the buyer, you want to know what you're coming into, you know, and you want to know, okay, so if I'm ENC now, do I have to set aside lots of resources to then go in and train these guys and implement these policies? Or do they already know what they're talking about? And I think that's really helpful for the integration process as well afterwards. Yeah, but how do you how do you value those things then? Let's say it is a company. I mean, or maybe I should rephrase my question. Do you see that that has an impact on the valuation? Like a company that's more mature, that you can see actually they they have a well functioning, you know, ESG risk management or compliance program. Yeah, or, or is it? It's probably hard to say, but do you see it makes a difference? And then, on the contrary, if if not, do you see that then we are negotiating on price reductions because it's going to be expensive to to clean up? Mm, yeah, um, I think. It, I mean, I, I was surprised when um, when I was speaking also in, in, leading up to the conference, uh, you know, last month. I was surprised to hear how much of an impact it's making on valuation these days, um, and. I, th- I thought that was coming, but I didn't quite see it happening already. And now you can already see, especially in the Nordics, that if you are bringing a company uh, to the stock exchange or, um, you know, 
basically you are you are having an impact if you don't have a ESG a credible ESG program. It's not just that you have to have a you know the policies in place. Um, investors are just a lot more sophisticated these days, and they have brought on uh, uh, you know specialists you know uh, from the ESG sector. Who can see through kind of okay, what's smoke and mirrors, right? And what's 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 for real? Uh, and so the demand, uh, because they can see that and recognize that, um, if you have a credible program, there is a there's a big value add. So so what you so what that means is that you know anybody looking to you know sell, buy, divest, IPO, whatever they're trying to do in the M and A space, they need to bring ESG into it as part of a, a business strategy, they have to take it into consideration. Um, especially in the Nordics, I would say. And it's, 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 it's obviously coming elsewhere as well, but I, I think that transition has happened a little bit quicker in the Nordics than, than maybe some other places. And, and what, do, can you say why, why that is? Do you see there are particular drivers for that? Yeah, why is why is that? I mean, I think I think that um, obviously one of regulation is kind of still coming, um, but but obviously it is you know the anticipation of regulations uh, is one of the drivers of of that, um, and the EU has been quite proactive uh, on a lot of these these areas, and and so the the, the investment firms um, that really see themselves at the forefront of this, you know, and have the inside, they're like, okay, we need to get out, we need to get out at the front of it, right? And and um, and so so they're already implementing all of these changes because they see it coming. Um, I mean, th- there are other drivers, of course, as well. I mean, you know, <laughs> climate change is real; it's, it's it's happening, right? And I think I think you know, it's it's if, for a lot of us, of course, we've, we've seen that for many years. But um, but I think just just with all the new reports that are coming out, you know, there, there's a certain sense of urgency, right? And and that means that um, you know investors are also thinking more about it. They're looking more at um, you know what their own investors are. You know, I mean, we're talking about you know pension funds. We're talking about you know students. You know, uh, who, whose funds are being put into you know these other you know uh, investment funds that are then being invested. So there's a lot of drive from from the actual kind of people behind it and the consumers to uh, to improve on these areas. Um, and and then there's also obviously been a lot of um, more on the social side. There's been a lot of um, in this. There's been a lot of issues, of course, with the um, with, with, with the inequality that you've seen in, in certain sectors. So um, movements like Black Lives Matters and and Me Too and and these movements are also pushing companies to uh, address this more. And, and so that means that this gets taken into consideration as part of the investment uh, process. Um, then there's the other thing I would say is that, um, you, you know, of course, with the issues that are coming out, for example, about supply chain in, in China uh, and, and the issues with forced labor that, that are coming out there, um, they are they are driving people to say, OK, well, you know, can we work with these suppliers? You know, and suddenly if you are if you are very dependent on s- supply chains in, in that region, you know, it can have a big impact on your business. And, and, you know, if you suddenly can't get use those suppliers anymore, so that will impact valuation as well. Um, if, if you don't have a credible way of dealing with it. So, so I think that's, you know, people are just much more aware of the risks now that can be caused by these things and, and the impact it can have for your public. So, so that's why it's impacting valuations as well. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and now when, when I was sort of listening to you, I also was thinking about that it's, I mean, it's, is, is it, Jacob, becoming like almost a deal breaker when we talk about access to capital? Because it, it sort of has an impact if, if you, you want to sell your company or if you're buying a hmm. company. But also what I've seen is that banks, for example, if you're entering into or, you know, a financing agreement or, or, or you know, you are about to, 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 to launch like some, some, some bonds or something like that, uh, actually the banks are asking for you know these things and and I and I was in a situation pretty recently also in the, where we had a discussion that the bank was asking for KPIs and this sort of takes us to to the reporting element as well that it, it's not mm. not only about like investors per se but also banks that that actually sees that a company that is managing these aspects well can actually have like lower interest rates and and better access to capital. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you're seeing it. I, I mean, I don't know if this has had an impact on the current energy crisis that we're having, because I don't think there's not been enough invested in the renewables sector, but you are obviously seeing that capital flows are, you know, just going down, dropping significantly, you know, when it's going to oil or gas. And it's very quick that it's almost like a perception that, that, this is now a dirty industry, right? You know, and this is, uh, and, and this is, this is, it happened very, very quickly that oil and gas suddenly are, are, are bad words in some sense, you know, and, and, uh, I don't think we've caught up enough <laughs> to be able to do that, but, but you are definitely seeing that the banks are trying, uh, are channeling, you know, um, uh, funding to, to, uh, to, to companies that, you know, can fit into the energy transition that is happening, right? Yeah. And, and so, and they want, you know, so, so the problem is, of course, if you're looking at the oil and gas sector, yes, we still need it right now mm-hmm. and we will still need it for the next 10 years or so. But if you're investing into a business now, uh, and you know, you have, you know, if you're a PE firm, for example, you have maybe five year horizon. What are you going to do if you sell that on afterwards? If there's only five years left, <laughs> um, yeah. for, you know, yeah. before regulations and everything comes and impacts that. So, um, so that's why you're seeing those capital flows already stopping at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is this is really an interesting movement that we are sort of mm. in the midst of, right? And I, I think we are. It's it's pretty pretty exciting field to be in because because we mm. are, you know, then uh, some years from now, people will be watching what we were doing right now and maybe <laughs> judging us and criticizing us, thinking, how, why, why didn't do, they do yeah. better? Why didn't they identify these risks? Why didn't they work in a you know, more proactive way? Because so much value has been destructed yeah. uh, because of Absolutely. that. But, uh, but, but then, I mean, to, to start, start wrapping up here, I still have a couple of, of points that, that I wanted, to, wanted us to, to cover, Jacob. And the first one was this, with with reporting, like how do you how do you report on on this? And 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 you sort of a little bit alluded to well, that's that's sort of your headache within within the corporate <laughs> world. And and I think I think it is because there is, I mean, yeah, we have the GRI like reporting initiative on the sustainability side and so on. But but still, there is quite you know a lot of discretion on company side. You know what. They should report on, and, and it's more this comply or comply or, or explain that if you don't report, you should just explain why you're not reporting and so on. But um, mm. do do you have uh, do, do do you have any 
sort of specific topics that you think companies should report on, like based on what you see your clients are interested in and so on? Do you think there are a couple of of sort of items that that definitely should be in, for example, the annual or sustainability report of a company? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know if you if you want to be a uh, you know up up you know up to the modern times, uh, I think as a as a big corporate, you need to obviously address your carbon footprint. You need to address your emissions, um, and and so you need to. I think this is the key thing right now. I mean, there's there's plenty of other topics. I mean, you know, there's been you know, Danish companies have to put out a statement on human rights and, and various other things, but they were a little bit kind of superficial, you know, and they haven't really been, you know, done much um, in terms of content. But I think, I think the key focus will be on the environment and climate change and what corporates are doing to minimize their footprints. And, and so I think this is, you know, the good thing there is that that's also one of the things Within the ESG sphere, that you can actually more easily quantify, right? You know, because as you know, it's not that easy to quantify corruption issues, or, or, or you know, as as much as people want data on it, that's much more tricky. Whereas you can actually measure your your use of electricity, you can measure you know the amount of transportation, business travel, and all these things. And and so I don't think if you you know if you want to be taken seriously. You need to go through the effort of really mapping that as a company, um, and and there's plenty of you know structures and frameworks and ways that you can do that. Um, but you know you have to make sure you do it well because that's also one of the things that you know the investor base are also very aware of, <laughs> and they can also see through if you've done it badly, right? So so you need to do it well if you're going to do it. Um, but that that would be that would be I think the first area. Um, that's, that's, um, that I think, you know, pops up, you know, supply chain will also become more important and, and doing an internal supply chain, you know, kind of risk analysis, uh, I think will be really important, uh, in the future as well. Not quite up there with the environment, but that will be really important that you can say, okay, how are we looking at the different tiers, you know, and, and, you know, what are the risks, you know, not just from our direct suppliers, but down the, down the supply chain. And being able to demonstrate that, that will also be something that investors will demand in the future, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, you know, one question that I that I get nowadays, Jacob, is, is sort of, uh, so what, you know, what's the role of ethics and compliance in ESG? Hmm. And, and then, you know, should ethics and compliance own ESG and who is the owner of this and so on? And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but at least, you know, my view is that we in the ethics and compliance community, we're, we're good with sort of verifying. We have a systematic approach. We work in a structured way. We do our risk assessments and put in place the policies and have the follow-up and the KPIs and, and monitoring. And I, I really think that is what we can bring to the, to the ESG field to, to ensure this rigor. So what you were saying like on, in the environmental space, you know, investors will will quite quickly actually nowadays see if it's just you know greenwashing, uh, but but there we can really bring in a methodology to make sure no we have assessed the risks and we have relevant policies in place and we have assessed our business partners in terms of this and so on to use mm. the kind of methodology across these different areas. 
But yeah. I don't know. Do yeah? How do you see sort of the link between or the role of ethics in compliance uh, uh, in this discourse and, and then in working with these things uh, in companies? No, I mean I, I completely agree. I think you're spot on with with the kind of what what the strengths of the ENC uh, you know experts normally are, um, and and I think that that has a lot of benefits in. In that process, especially because you tend to be a bit more suspicious, you tend to be, you know, you prod and poke and and you know and and question things um, in a way that perhaps um, other sectors of the corporate won't necessarily do. Um, and and so I think that that will have a, a great benefit. I think what will be important on when it comes to the environmental side is that. If you are an ENC team, you know there probably needs to be a bit of, um, you know, self-education or training or something, so that you know you really because it's that 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 area is a little bit further away from kind of your sweet spots, right? Um, and I've, I, you know, we've had to do the same thing, right? Because it was the same thing for us. We really had a steep learning curve on the environmental side, so that because you you need to get to a certain level of understanding to be able to then obviously also question things and and be involved in the reporting side. I think that um that's definitely uh, possible um and I think that that would be very very useful also for um you know especially the traditional kind of corporate social responsibility side or sustainability teams that you know perhaps in the past have been seen a little bit um uh, I hope, hope not stepping, stepping on people's toes but but Perhaps a little bit aloof, a little bit not not specific enough, and not not detailed enough, and and perhaps more for a little bit window dressing um, at, at times. And I think you know, so they could certainly use with that dose of ENC uh, suspicion and ENC kind of you know questioning things. And I think that could be a powerful combination. I do think that it's more it, it, there's a closer link to the supply chain side and the suppliers. Um, you know, and we've talked about this in the past as well. And you know, I think that there there would be a really big impact if there was a way for ENC to be more involved, you know, with suppliers, especially the key suppliers and and kind of, you know, betting and checking and, you know, providing maybe that external uh, elements, you know, to all the auditing and and the the, the engagement that, that procurement will have with their key suppliers. You know, I think that's where, that's where I see the biggest, um, biggest natural uh, combination between ENC and kind of one of the ESG um, spaces, you know. I think on the G, uh, you know, governance is already what you guys are doing. I mean, just to a very, very um, large extent, right? So you're already performing a crucial uh, ESG role uh, at the end of the day. So whatever happens in terms of the structure, ENC will definitely be a part of it because that's where you know you, you might as well, in some sense, call it governance. Um, and, and and the last thing I wanted to mention on that point, I think, is, you know, also on the supply chain and, and uh, other areas, you know, the fact that you guys have been so used to training people, you know, at, at various parts of the business. I mean, that's almost like if you you know that you can't just have policies and, you know, everything else, you need to implement them and you need to go out and train people. And it's only when you start seeing results from all this training that you actually start to see, a, a, you know, uh, compliance really coming through in a, in a proper corporate culture. And I think, you know, that training experience and that dealing with different business, um, uh, business roles in, in the corporate is so valuable. Uh, it's such a valuable skill to have, you know, not only on the, on the compliance side, but also when it comes to, yes, dealing with suppliers or, um, dealing with, uh, other third, other types of third parties. 
Yeah. 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 No, I think that's, uh, that's true. We are suspicious and, and we work a lot of these business partners and questions who they are and what they do for us and so on. And that's sort of our <laughs> bread and butter. But I would also, you know, just to add, for, for me, when somebody asks who should own ESG, is it ethics and compliance? And my first answer is no, not under any circumstances. Because for me, you know, environment, social and governance topics in the world that we live in is a highly strategic topic. So it's the CEO who owns that. That's for me crystal clear. It, it, it's, yeah, if, if this, so, so, and, and, and ultimately, you know, the whole company. So, so I think from that discussion, if somebody says no ethics and compliance owns ESG, then it's not a strategic topic per se. But of course, you know, we can, we can facilitate the processes and so on. But, but I do think it's important to, to sort of, really realize what we are talking about here. It's not about reporting or, or structures per se, but it's really about addressing these very critical issues that we see investors and, and societies and our stakeholders are caring more and more about. Absolutely. I mean, I think you have to, if you really you know, believe in ESG, you have to look at what you can do to improve it, not necessarily how you can satisfy investors by your reporting, of course. But of course, it's all part of the picture, right? You need to, you need to be able to also do that. And, you know, I don't mind too much if, you know, it comes from the companies themselves or whether they're driven by regulation or, or, or investors. I mean, at the end of the day, if we get a positive result, um, you know, then that's great. Right. If if companies are doing more to address their carbon footprint, that's great. If they are engaging more with their suppliers and on labor issues, that's great. And and so how it arrives to that is not so, so you know so important, I think. And I, and I and I do think I mean there's a lot of skepticism, of course. And I think you know it's great again. There's a lot of skepticism. You know, as the debate increases, that will just that will just increase as well. And that's important that uh, you again, you know, typically ENC people that are quite cynical, right? You know about uh, about what, what's being done. But I mean, there are people out there who are doing really good work as well. Uh, and and it would be a pity if they didn't get kind of recognized as well. And you know, the achievements that are being done, it doesn't get recognized. And I, and I think you know there are paths and there are um, methods and 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 structures that will get you. To make progress, um, and you know, but I always like to come back to okay, let's just do step by step. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, and I think you have the same mentality. Of course, you have to have a vision, but what's the point of a great vision if you can't actually you know take steps to improve? You know, as you go, you know, go through go through uh, the years. You know, so it's all well and good that companies are saying they want to reduce. Uh, their carbon footprint by, you know, I don't know, 50% by, you know, 2000, uh, by 2030. But what are the steps that they're taking? You know, and, and I think that's what you want to get to. You want to really see, okay, it's not about the grand statements. It's about what are the practical, pragmatic steps that you're taking to actually get there. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's, that's so, so, so right, Jacob. And, and I think we could continue this discussion for a much <laughs> longer time, but we, we need to wrap up and, uh, yeah, I think a great it's 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 a good conclusion to say this is all about, you know, the steps we are taking to have a real impact and to think it is about, you know, the environmental impact, the social impact and impact on governance structures and and make sure it's better tomorrow than it was yesterday and and really being as concrete as possible and I think that will take us quite far. Mm, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here in Ethics Talk, uh, Jacob. And I, I hope we can host you uh, for another talk. I'm sure we would have a lot to discuss. But thank you so much. 
pleasure to be here and thanks a lot.